Over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at this book. And so what I want to do today is have some background information that we can use to kind of build on and uh, refer back to. It'll help us understand a little bit more what some of the problems were in Corinth. It'll also help us understand the culture so that when we refer to the culture of Corinth, you'll see that the culture of Corinth looks a lot like another culture that we kind of know of. Western culture in the United States of America or Canada or even worse, Europe. There is a very close similarity. And people wonder sometimes whether the Word of God, the Bible, written how many thousand years ago was really a... a has any value or relevance today, this book shows me in such a powerful way that there's a direct correlation between our culture and the Corinthian culture. And so what Paul wrote to them has immediate application. So yes, the Word of God is vital and powerful and living and real and uh, we want to study it so that we have a deeper understanding of who God is and what He's doing in our lives, how He wants us to live. Sam, I have a little trouble communicating with you. Where's Sam? <laughs> There's a reason for that. Then just somehow you could figure to click ahead a couple screens. While he's doing that, let's ask God to help us. You can see how desperate we are already. Father, thank you so much for... Uh, the opportunity to learn from Your Word. Thank You, God, that we live in a land where we can come un, uh, unhindered, unmolested, and uh, open the Word of God. We can carry our Bibles. In fact, we probably have six, seven Bibles uh, to carry. And, and uh, You're just you're so good to us. You've blessed us so abundantly. And yet, Father, we see some of the blessing eroding a little bit, even in our culture and realize that it's very, very important for us to cling hard to those principles that you lay down in your Word to guide our lives and to give us focus, to give us direction. So as we spend these next uh, 30 minutes or so together, we'd ask that your Holy Spirit would empower each one here. Lord, you know my heart. You know how much I need you. You know how desperate we all are for uh, the strength that comes only from you. And so we cry out to you this morning for it. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom. Give us uh, receptive minds, but also, Father, give us critical thinking. Help us to, to pick out truth and error and uh, pray for your help with this. Pray that these folks would, would even be used to shape my life and to guide me as you know I need that. So we pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. I usually uh, start a series by saying to my students, don't believe anything I say. And I mean that sincerely. You say, well then, what are you doing up there? What I'm trying to get at is, there is a resource, there is a, uh, a place where you can go to check out whether these things are true or not. So what I mean is, don't take my word. Don't take my word for it. Listen, challenge, I expect people to be raising their hands all the time or throwing things or whatever you want to do to get my attention, but I expect that there be interaction during this time. And if you disagree with what I've said, let's bring it out. These kinds of discussions are so helpful and so important. 
And so it's open to everybody. Uh, we want this to be a very, very free-flowing, open kind of class. We won't get anything covered, but that doesn't matter. Okay? We can spend the next seven years studying the first, the book of 1 Corinthians and um, just learn a ton from it. I'm being a little facetious, but I'm not being facetious about please don't take what I say as truth. I'll try to do my best to present what I know of as truth. I'll try not to lie to you, um, even about my own personal weaknesses and, and failings. Um, but I'm a human. I am a flawed human. And so I'm going to mess up. And that's where I need you to correct me. The, the Holy Spirit uses us in the body of Christ. So we want to talk a little bit first about where in the world is Corinth. And in order to do that, I'd appreciate if you'd all look at our map here on the front wall. This is a map of the world. And you can see the seven continents uh, all in order. Oh, look! There's North America with Dubuque, Iowa. There, oh, look! The great adventure. There, okay. You're, you're starting to see the picture? Good, good. You're getting it. All right. Uh, North America is... Uh, oh, yeah, right there. I'll use my pointer. That might help you. Okay, North America. Now we go across this vast expanse of water called the Atlantic Ocean, and we bump hard into two new continents. This upper one is what? Yeah, you are very perceptive. Man, you can see well. Okay, and below that is the large kind of funnel-shaped country of... Good, good. Okay, now between Europe and Africa, you see this little body of water right there? What's it called? That's the Mediterranean Sea. Good job. Look in the Mediterranean Sea. Do you see that boot stepping right down into the water? It's right right there. The boot, you see it? What is that? Italy. That's Italy. Good. And then if you go across this, this little, little, it's a smaller sea, but if you go across it, you can see that there is a chunk of land that's sticking down into the Mediterranean and at the bottom... There's a whole bunch of fingers that look like this. Got to do them like this because they're really you know, they're arthritic fingers sticking down into the... See that? You don't see it. Okay, well, uh, you see Africa, you see Europe, you see Asia, you see the Mediterranean Sea, you see Italy, the boot. There's Greece, just to the east of Italy. All right? And uh, maybe this is a little better way of looking at it. But... Uh, this is the, the section that we're talking about. Actually, all of this. This would be the upper area called Macedonia. It's like one of the big states of Greece. And down here uh, in this area would be the state of Achaia. Um, you're familiar, I'm sure, with some of the... This is actually written in Russian um, for uh, those who are ex especially gifted. But anyway... <laughs> You're familiar with some of the cities, like you see Thessaloniki uh, up there, and uh, so on. All right. What we're going to do is ask you to come down here, down, 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 and right here is the capital of the northern part of Greece called Macedonia, it was the capital of Athens. And then, now here's where it gets really exciting. You have to go across this very narrow strip of land and you bump hard into the city of... Good job. All right, you found us. That's Corinth. Those arthritic fingers that I was talking... Actually, there's only three of them. Oh, well. Must have been a shop teacher. But it, um, 
those fingers sticking down into the ocean we call the Peloponnesus. Can you all say Peloponnesus? Peloponnesus. Good, you'll need that. I'm sure that'll be very valuable. All right. You have a pretty good idea of where we are and what we're talking about. Do you notice that this part of the world is very much circled by water? And usually that's a tremendous benefit. Usually when there are uh, when there's easy access to the, to the seas and oceans, it means that there's going to be some good shipping, some real prosperous uh, trade going on there. Not so in this place. And I'll show you a picture in a few seconds why. In fact, there are very few good places to bring a ship in. This, is, this one doesn't work so well. You'd think that might be a nice harbor. No, bad one, and so on. It's really kind of rough. Um, also, down here, these little thingies that stick into the ocean cause, crea uh, cause enormous currents. Uh, in fact, you've probably done this. When you're driving along the highway, you roll down your window. Do, does anybody roll down the windows anymore? Okay. When the air conditioner quits, you roll down the window, and you stick your arm out. And what happens to your arm? Isn't that fun? And you can hold it up there, and you can feel the wind whistling through it. Well, you're disturbing those air currents. And that's exactly what this finger uh, uh, of land does. The ocean currents that are there, it stirs it, and so it, it creates a very uh, rough seas and, and difficult sailing. And uh, that will be something that we need to know about. It's dangerous, is what we're saying, to sail um, around this part of the world. So what the soldiers uh, and the sailors and the merchants did was um, to come into this area... And here was an excellent port right here. So if they're sailing from up here in Europe or over here in Ephesus, they come across and they would come into this port right here. And then they would, uh-oh, a little strip of land. It's only six miles wide. It's called an isthmus. It's between the Ionian Sea and the Aegean Sea. Here's Ionian, there's Aegean. A little strip of land only six miles wide. It means that the shipping route is blocked. Now, what would be the logical thing to do? With our modern technology, what would we do? Sure. This thing is a little slower than I am. Can you imagine that? It must be 70. All right. Yeah, the, the, the normal would be to dig a canal. And actually, several uh, cultures tried to do that. But take a peek at this next picture. That's what they were up against. Solid rock, high, high mountainous country, and the, the, the land comes right up out of the ocean. And so they started digging these canals and had a terrible time. It wasn't until 18, I think 1887, that they actually got this canal dug through there. And it made it very, very difficult. So what they did in the meantime was to build a railroad across this stretch of land. And they would actually build like a boat trailer onto a railroad car and they'd back those railroad cars right down into the water. They'd sail the ship on it and then they'd pull it across the isthmus, turn it around and back it in on the other side. Pretty clever, huh? Now, we're talking some pretty good sized boats here. We're talking a lot of goods being shipped. Uh, we're saying that this is, this is going to be kind of work. And so what that does 
is to lead us to an understanding of the population of Corinth. And that's where I was really trying to get with this discussion. In the mix of Corinth were all kinds of different people. Uh, the United States is called the melting pot, right? And Greece, especially in the area of Corinth, was another melting pot. Lots of different people. They started with thousands of slaves. Obviously, they didn't have the technology that we have. They didn't have the locomotion that we had. And so what they did to move these huge ships across the isthmus was to put a rope on it and put 5,000 slaves on each ship and pull them. They pulled the thing across. Um, not real easy. Uh, of course, there were the merchants who were making the money uh, in, in these trades. There were the sailors who were running the boats. The uh, Greek government, and then by the time we're into the letter that Paul writes, it was the Roman government, is there to kind of keep things in order. And so what you had was this enormous mix of people. The very rich, the very poor, the very powerful, and the powerless. And I want you to think about how that might impact someone going in and trying to plant a church. Very rich, very poor. Very powerful, powerless. Give me some implications of that kind of a group. Conflict. Some conflict. And what would cause that, Merlin? Okay. Power struggles, control. Good, good. Any other issues that might come out of that? Go ahead. Yeah, unity would be tough. Unity would be tough. You'd have rich people. Not this is. I'm not. You know, I'm kind of categorizing rich people because I know we have several rich people in here this morning. Rich people have a tendency to kind of, you know, at poor people. <laughs> you poor slug. You know that kind of thing. I don't know any rich people, so I'm just making this up. But um, there's there's a there's a, a separation of the classes and powerful people forget that the reason they're powerful is that it's God that allowed that to happen in their lives and they mistreat people who are powerless. And so when you bring them all into a church setting, you have some conflict, you have some issues. And that was exactly the case in Corinth. Enormous problems. Let's move on. Two main parts to the city. In, in the main city, by the way, if there's any questions or challenges, remember to throw them out there. In the, in the main part of the city, as I showed you on the map, there were two large harbors, and actually Corinth was a twin city. Uh, Sancria was the twin city of Corinth. Um, you've been to Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri, twin cities, okay? You've been to Minneapolis, St. Paul, twin cities. That was the way it was, Dallas, Fort Worth, and so on. So that's what was going on here. And you don't know when one city stopped and the next one started. But anyway, there was a fairly good place. Two really good harbors that made this a very lucrative uh, place. Uh, a marketplace called the Agora, where all the trading was going on, very interesting things happening. A lot of homes. And that would all be on, um, on kind of the, uh, the main plateau coming in, in this area. Another part of the city was known as the Acrocorinthus. And this is significant because it was kind of a, a tall tower 
with a flat top. And that was a very special place. That was a place where the rich tend to have their vacation homes. That was a place where they had stored extra food and water in case the city below was attacked. The important people would go up to the top and the slaves and stuff would stay around and become cannon fodder for whoever was invading. Um, there was also up on top of the Acrocorinthus a very... Uh, you're going to get there? Oh, look, I even have a picture. Okay. This is actually in the area. These are some of the ruins. And um, I'm told that in the foreground here was where the marketplace was, the Agora. Uh, let me see if I have a picture. Oops, I can't get back there. Yeah, I can. That would be the Acrocorinthus in the background. That's that high chunk where the rich went to for protection and for leisure. Also up there was their temple, the place where they went to worship. And uh, some interesting worship. We'll talk about that. Okay? The culture. From what we know, the culture was made up of inventors and architects. Probably if you've been on a university campus that's been around for a while, you've seen Corinthian architecture. Where would you see it? Even in our, our towns and cities. Corinthian architecture. What would be an example? Yeah. The Corinthian column. See, if you ever need to know anything, ask Claire. She's our smartest person. All right. Very up to date. A Corinthian column. Uh, and Corinthian columns were those, those tall, tall pillars that they had out in the front porch. And at the top, there were all kinds of floral designs. It was a uniquely Corinthian kind of architecture. People in Corinth were very proud of their architecture and, and made a big deal of it. In fact, there was a picture, wasn't there? Hey, look! <laughs> There's those columns up at the top, okay? Corinthian columns, a uh, highly educated group of people. Now, they would be the common folk, the slaves, uh, because in that day we had public education and every... Come on. What? Raise your hand back there, throw something. Yeah, it was the rich. It wasn't the slave. One of the differences between our culture and their culture is we offer public education for every kid. Kind of neat. Not so in Corinth. But the people who were educated were highly educated, very sophisticated. They had these uh, Isthmian, I can hardly say that, Isthmian games. And those Isthmian games were very similar to the Olympics. Where did the Olympics get started? Greece. What city? Yeah, just down the road, across the Isthmus in Athens. Well, Corinth wasn't going to be outdone, so they had their own Olympics. They called them the Isthmian Games. And actually, they would compete back and forth. Very proud athletes. Corinth was a leader among the other Greek cities. In fact, your history probably tell, reminds you of Athens, Corinth, and then one other city. Sparta? Yeah, good, okay. And Sparta was kind of the, uh, the military capital. It was kind of like the Fort Leavenworth or, or some of those kinds of things. But Athens and, and, and Corinth were the main cultural centers. Let's get on with this before everybody goes to sleep. Why in the world would the Apostle Paul, in his missionary journeys, make it a point to go to the city of Corinth? 
Well, there's some reasons that I'd like to share with you. You see them on your hand out there. The first was geographic, and that's what we've been trying to point out. Corinth was a hub. Just like Atlanta is a hub, Chicago is a hub, where uh, Denver is a hub where a lot of different roads and airlines and, and railroads all come together. That's what Corinth was. It was a, a center point of the transportation of the day. And uh, therefore, uh, there was lots of, of action going on there. Uh, culturally and politically, I've already said that they were leaders among the Greek people anyway. Culturally and politically. But here's another reason, and this one is hard to understand, unless you live in the United States. There was a, a very significant amount of spiritual darkness. What do I mean by that? Help me with that. What would spiritual darkness be? Anybody? Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And life is our resident historian, so between Claire and Knight, we know everything in this church. Uh, yeah, please. you're getting ahead of me don't be talking about that stuff <laughs> you bet you bet and as we read in scripture those gods were sticks hunks of wood chunks of gold as, as life was pointing out and the scripture says what kind of a dummy, it doesn't use that exact word, but it's a loose translation. What kind of a dummy would go out into the forest, cut down a tree, cut a chunk of it off and carve it into an idol, cut the rest of it up and use it to build his house, and then turn around and worship that chunk of wood and say, you're my God. Duh. No, that's a hunk of tree, dummy. Well, let's not be too arrogant. Let's not be too hypercritical about that because folks we do the same thing we just do it a little bit differently okay this afternoon I have these enormous plans and come whatever can't say the word hell in church can you? okay hell and high water I'm going to take my new boat out on the river and I'm going to bow down to my boat. If I do that, that's idolatry. We, we met with a bunch of guys yesterday, and one of them said, my wife told me I needed to get a new widescreen TV. All the rest of the guys said, oh, where is she? I wanted to talk to my wife. But I can worship my big screen TV. 
or whatever it would be. I have on my wall, I don't really, I'm making this up, a diploma from Harvard University. And obviously, that sets me above everyone else, right? Ah, to my diploma. There's all kinds of things that we that we what's the word? Can you switch something around? What is it? Substitute. Oh, that was a good word. Okay. We substitute the living God for something far less. And that's called spiritual darkness. And that's exactly what was going on in Corinth. You heard life talk about this temple prostitutes. All throughout the Bible, all throughout history, whenever a culture would get involved in idolatry, there was another word that was always associated with it. It could never be separated. Idolatry was always hooked to fornication. Fornication or adultery. They never were found separated from one another. And I think that's true in our culture as well. It isn't long after I make something an idol, something that I substitute the living God for something else, before that unfaithfulness moves and directs me to other areas of unfaithfulness, including sexual immorality. Always hooked up. What had happened in Corinth was uh, another one of their gods was Epaphrodite. And they had a significant temple to Aphrodite on the top of that Echo Corinthians. And up there they would have uh, over a thousand temple prostitutes. And so if you wanted to worship on Sunday morning, instead of taking your Bible and going off to a church somewhere, you went with your money up to the top of the, uh, the Corinthians, Echo Corinthians and, and, and had sex with one of these prostitutes. And you were saying, well, that's how I worship my God say, whoa, that's a little thick. You shouldn't be talking about that. But that's the reality. And that's where it was going. And let me tell you, the United States of America in its idolatry has sold itself out for fornication. And here's the problem. While God built His church to be an influence and a buffer on the culture, right? Would you say that? We're to be to shine like stars, the Scripture says. We're to be lights on a hill. We're to be salt of the earth. That's what our job is. And instead of those bright lights, we make another God and we turn the light out and we're spiritual darkness. And it's everywhere in our culture. And you know it and I know it. Now, the church was supposed to influence culture and be that salt and light. But what had happened in Corinth was a tragedy. The culture was influencing the church. It could never be. The culture was influencing the church. Has that happened anywhere else in history? Duh! We struggle with this, people. This is a hard thing. Our culture 
is supposed to be impacted by us, what's happening is that we are being impacted by the culture. Tragedy. In Corinth, there was a ton of spiritual darkness. The the next slide talks about review the second journey, and I, I, I... I'm going to avoid that. If you have time, um, you could take a map and trace what is known as Paul. In fact, probably in the back of most of your Bibles, you'll find a map that shows Paul's second missionary journey. It was on that second journey that he, he left from Antioch and went up here and had this vision where he was called to come to Macedonia. He came across to this area, and the first person in Europe got saved. Name, her name was Lydia. Fantastic. First convert in all of Europe. And and I'm here to tell you that that influence has had a profound impact on my life. Because the gospel spread from Philippi north and it got all the way to Sweden. took a few years, but it got all the way to Sweden and my grandparents were impacted by the gospel. Grandpa Leverance, when he was 18 years old, hopped on a ship and came over to the United States because things were so miserable in Sweden. But he found Jesus in Sweden, came over here, and, and you know the rest is history. But had it not been for Paul going up there, would I ever have heard the good news about Jesus? Most of you have the same heritage. And we need to thank the Lord that he took him on this second missionary trip and started impacting Europe for the first time. Well, he came to Philippi. I don't know if you remember the story of the Philippian jailer. Anybody? Quick history on that. Somebody? Quick, quick, quick. What happened? The, the jailer got saved. Now, how do you lead sailor, or sailors, jailers to Jesus? What's that? Yeah, you get thrown in jail. See, this is a new kind of evangelism, people. I want you all to think about it. It's called dumpster diving, and then they arrest you and throw you. That's a... Yeah, anyway... Yes, and while they were in jail... Oh, wait a minute. Now, I just met you, and I know your name. What was that? That's Lacey? Lacey! <laughs> Sorry. Lacey suggested that these two guys started singing away, and uh, then God provided a little help with, uh, what, an earthquake, and this prison door sprang open, their, their chains all fell off, and they were free. And the jailer says, Whoa! How am I going to stop this? He knew they'd all run. So he pulled out his sword. He said, I, I might as well kill myself because tomorrow my boss is going to kill me. And Paul said, whoa, wait a minute. And he led him to the Lord Jesus. Fantastic. Fantastic story. But Paul and Silas are kicked out of town as troublemakers. And so they go to the next town, Thessalonica. And guess what? They get in trouble again. And they get beat up again and they get kicked out of town again. And then they go to Berea and they get beat up again and they get kicked out of town. Sounds like an interesting journey, doesn't it? Imagine your summer vacation. Every every town you stop in, they beat you up and... uh, Never mind. Okay. Yeah. So finally he came to Athens where he spent a considerable period of time, wrote uh, a neat little sermon in Acts chapter 18, and then moved on to Corinth. And uh, the reason I'm pointing this out is because 
this is the hand of God at work in the people of Corinth's lives. Because up until this moment, most of them had never heard the great news that Jesus Christ had died to pay for their sins. And when they heard that news, many of them believed. Someone read Acts 18, verses 9 and 10, will you? Acts 18, 9 and 10. Do you have it right there? Should have done like a sword drill. Bible's in the air. Anybody have it? Please. Wow. Good news for Paul. Every town he'd been to, he got roughed up. He comes to Corinth and God speaks to him in a dream. Interesting. You ever had one of those? I haven't, but interesting. And he says, don't be afraid. Well, that's good news. I'll protect you. That's better news. Speak clearly the gospel presentation. Why? I got a lot of people in this city that I'm going to save. Is that cool or what? Remember when you were sitting in camp when you were eight years old or nine years old and, and, and the guy was talking and suddenly something clicked and you said, you know what? I need that good news. Remember that? We, we should take a couple seconds. Anybody get saved at camp? Anybody get saved at Bible camp? A couple of you? All right, fantastic. That was where I got saved, nine years old. It was great. Um, Barbie, how old were you when you got saved? 29? Didn't you go to camp? Ah, okay, that explains it. Barbie didn't go to camp. Jason, how old were you when you trusted Jesus? Oh, I got another Jason. All right, Jason, 20? 32, wow. Interesting. What happened? they heard this great story. And they said, I know that's true. I need that. I'm putting words in their mouth, but it was something like that, wasn't it? And the great news that Jesus wants to save us from our sins hit our ears, went into our hearts, and we said, that's for me. I need that. And I don't know if it was exactly like that for you, but it, it had something like that in your experience. And what was happening here, people, is that the God of the universe, the God who created the heavens and the earth, said, I have much people in this place. Is that, isn't that quite how, kind of how it was, Angie? Read that last phrase in 10 again. That's it. I have many people in this place. Isn't it cool that God right now is looking down from heaven at Dubuque, Iowa, saying, I've got people down there that need to hear the good news. You go and you tell them. Because you know what? When they hear, the Holy Spirit will stir their hearts to the point where they say, that's what I need. Question, has God given you this same message? 
Was it a dream? No, it wasn't a dream. But you got the message? Anybody else get a message from God to go and tell the good news to whatever community you're in because there's people out there that are going to get saved. Anyone else in this room? Jason? What? What? Where? How do you know? Where'd you read it? Yeah, yeah. Matthew, Mark, okay. The Great Commission. Go and preach. Make disciples. Teach them. Do all of those things. And he's talking to his disciples, those who follow him. Folks, what an incredible privilege to have the opportunity to take the greatest message that has ever been heard in this community, in this world, and be able to pass that on to other people. Now, here's my problem. When I have this great news and I have opportunity to share it with someone else, Here's what happens. It looks something like this. It looks like I need the Heimlich, you know. Can you relate to what I'm saying here? I don't know what it is, but it's hard. And we need to be encouraging each other. We need to be helping each other because those same kind of people are here in our community and need to hear the Gospel. And, and, and Jesus clearly said, it's your job. Tell them. Tell them. Get it out there. Well, thank the Lord that there's people around who've been telling the message so that Barb and Daryl and Jason and Jason and others recognize that God had something for them and they said, that's what I want. I'm really tired this morning. Let's, uh, let's stop. What we'd like you to do, uh, we will, for anybody that's going to take this class, we'll buy you a three-ring binder and we'll have it here next time. And we'll redo these and so we have three-hole punched and put it in there and we'll put all the rest of the stuff in there. But we'd very much appreciate if you would take some notes interact with somebody else about the discussion or about the lecture and then turn it into a discussion. And uh, as I said before, please, we want to challenge you with this. This could, be, uh, this could be a great learning experience for all of us, myself included, and I'm very sincere about that. So please, if you see something that's not accurate or uh, needs a little tweaking, let me know and we'll, uh, we'll make sure that we communicate that to everybody. Any questions before we close? All right, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this great group of people. Uh, pray that you'll take your word and have it make an impact on our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name.